Cod Moth. Today we bask in the light of mustachioed greatness. And we are returning to the mustachioed greatness. That is Vincent Price. This time we are covering one of his personal favorites, 1973's Theater of Blood. He hams it up like a champ in this movie, and that is quite possibly the perfect blend of horror and comedy. The first podcast I ever guessed it on was on the Grindbin podcast, as y'all, many of y'all know. And the movie we covered was Blood Sucking Freaks, which is the, uh, I guess, watered down shit version of Theater of Blood. <laughs> but in that movie, there is a critic named Creasy Silo, who is the, the uh, he's a real prick. But compared to the critics we meet in this movie, Creasy Silo doesn't really seem all that bad. Anyway, let's prepare to change costumes every 10 minutes, recite our favorite Shakespearean passages, and give a middle finger to all the critics out there and play that shit theme song. It's the Mustachio Podcast, yo. We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make some jokes, and then we'll all go home. Navigating the legendary hairy upper lips. It's the Mustachio Podcast, yo. Okay, so today... By the way, this is Daniel Segura, host of the Mustachio Podcast. Today, I welcome a first-timer to the show. He's the uh, former co-host of High and Low, colon, a Kuwasawa, Kawasawa podcast, <laughs> and We Cut Heads, colon, a Spike Lee podcast, and the current co-host of Shoot the Piano Player, colon, a French New Wave podcast. He's a guy that likes to have colons in his podcast names. <laughs> welcome to the show, Spencer. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm, <laughs> I'm also right. one of the hosts of the podcast, uh, The Dead Travel Fast, a vampire podcast with Joel from uh, my other series of podcasts. Oh, nice. Oh, I'm sorry I missed that. I, I, I really want to check that one out, too. I like me some vampire stuff. Well, I should say Joel and Sarah, uh, his partner. It's all three of us, and uh, we have three so far, but uh, we're going to do more in the future, just, you know, Life gets in the way. Oh, I know. I feel you, man. I don't know how you do it. I'm even like balancing two shows. I've, I was considering. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, uh, my buddy might be listening to this, but he actually came he came to me with the idea to maybe jump on as co-host to another show, and I'm kind of juggling that in my mind. I'm like, okay, wait, work. Okay, travel. Uh, <laughs> uh, my show. <laughs> trying to see like how how does this? How can I slice this uh, so that way I can put enough? Because you know, you never want to half-ass a show you know and, yeah. and not be able to put in as much as you want to put in so can you tell me a little bit uh, about um uh about both of those shows especially this shoot the piano player a french new wave podcast i, I just listened to the uh soleo episode and i thought that oh, yeah. was awesome oh yeah, yeah. uh if, uh, well first off if, if anyone listening has not seen soleo you absolutely need to it, it's worth uh like the subscribing to a criterion channel just for that movie it's uh absolutely necessary and it's not like homework it's just this brilliant like it's funny it's relatable and it will always be relevant which is very uh depressing but uh i really want to see that uh yeah um yeah criterion channel is the cheapest way right now okay awesome i will do it <laughs> but uh yes yeah, so uh i shoot the piano player a french new wave podcast me and joel 
pair a French New Wave movie with an Italian movie from the same year. And uh, it's just really an excuse for us to a uh, fill the blind spots with French New Wave because both of us are haven't seen that seen that much of it, and an excuse for me to uh, watch more Italian horror movies. Nice. I actually, I mean, that's basically. I think you've seen, a, you know, probably a thousand more movies than me. But I started the podcast deal because mm-hmm. I kept thinking, well, I don't want to corner myself into a genre, but there is one thing that usually you can find in every movie, almost, and that is a mustache. So I knew yeah. it would kind of give me the ability to to see movies from all different areas, and that is something I haven't touched is um, French cinema. So. I might have to take a look and see. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, pretty awesome stashes throughout <laughs> French cinema. So I might be able to find something because I, I do find that so interesting. Um, I haven't really touched on a lot of foreign films, so I, yeah. I do love that concept. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah and uh, pr- our previous season, Spike Lee, was a Spike Lee, with, um, a Spike Lee movie with a uh, what one best picture or one uh, the Cannes Film Festival that year. Uh, usually can because best picture movies are tend to be kind of boring uh, and uh, forgettable uh, for the most part. I don't know, maybe yeah. you disagree, but I, I find them to be kind of more forgettable. But that's just an excuse to be like, what uh, African movies can I uh, cover because no one talks about those? So, like, I pretty much use, use these as an excuse to like force people to learn about either like movies I really like or the stuff to be like, I just want to talk about like. Uh, Mario Bava and Argento movies so I'm going to figure out a way to to make people listen to me <laughs> I like that I mean I think that is one of the most uh, magical things about starting your own show is that um, in, we, even if you are partnering with somebody is you do what you want you get to do what you want and there's no one <laughs> to tell you what to do so and people a lot of times you know I have discovered so many films thanks to to podcasts like yours and like the Grind Bin and Bloody Bits, um, you know shows that have uh, especially um, the Grind Bin that and, and Bloody Bits that have allowed me to be on. So maybe at some point um, I will earn the right to be able to uh, to be on your show. <laughs> uh, our next season is, in uh, as of now, more uh, uh, Hispanic and Spanish leading. I can tell you. Oh. And yeah. uh, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out what the pairing thing will be, but uh, yeah. So you might, or you can just pick like any like Italian horror movie or whatever, and you can do an episode. Like I, I'm not really picky. Yeah, well, being of Spanish descent, yeah, I'd be fully interested in getting into that season as well. So, um, yeah, just let me know. I, I can't wait to find out where the colon's at in that title of uh, the new show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so. Tell me, Spencer, uh, mm-hmm. what made you want to bring a theater of blood to the podcast? You, uh, well, uh, there's a, a another podcast hosted by Sam Deegan, a film writer and comment. She has like uh, commentaries on Arrow DVDs and uh, and like a uh, uh, vinegar syndrome and stuff like that. And she has like written multiple books, and she has a podcast uh, about goth movies. Well, goth adjacent, really. It, it's kind of yeah. like a vague uh, definition. But uh, she talked about uh, a bunch of Vincent Price movies and talked about Theater of Blood. And so I was like, well, I, 
if she's gonna talk about it, I need to see it. And I saw it, and uh, uh, this movie is so much fun, and I just want more people to know about it because I didn't know about it until recently. And more, I think this is like a one super fun, super violent. And it's also, uh, I wish I was seen this in high school as an intro to to Shakespeare because it would have got me more interested in Shakespeare. You are on the dot with that. I felt the exact same way um, watching this movie, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I can't remember where I read it, but I did read that you know Vincent Price was looking forward to this opportunity because he always wanted to be able to be a part of you know to be able to do Shakespeare in film, and this was actually the perfect. It's almost as if the fates just came together, and and I can't imagine anyone else doing Vincent Price's part as Lionheart in this movie because it's such a perfect balance of what he was already used to doing uh which is a lot of of horror movies and then being able to bring that passion that he had for shakespearean um you know plays and being able to bring that into the film and you could really see um you know obviously he had to play it up a little bit because that was part of his character but he does an awesome job it's absolutely captivating and i really it really did make me want to like, oh, I really want to know more about Richard the Third. Like, I didn't really know. I don't know a lot about um, a lot of these plays. So I found it, I found it quite captivating. Um, yeah, I'm glad uh, you picked it. Oh yeah, there's a really good Richard the Third movie. Like, I'm not a Shakespeare expert or much of a fan because it, it's still I find it to be kind of impenetrable for the most part. But uh, there's this one really good um, Richard the Third movie from the '90s with uh, Robert Downey Jr. in it doing a British accent. It's kind of distracting, and um, it's has a guy from The Wire, uh, McNulty. Uh, but it's a really good, really good version of it. It's like R- Richard III, but with Nazi Germany. Oh, and like fascism. Interesting. Maybe not yeah. Nazi Germany, but it's like set in during the during thirties of rise of fascism. It's like, oh, this is how you like do Shakespeare. You have to like, you know, and Kurosawa did, um, uh, his Macbeth, uh, Throne of Blood which is arguably one of the best Shakespeare adaptations, which is uh, Macbeth, but with samurais and um, fully embracing like the horror movie uh, yeah. aspect of it. Wow. Yeah. I definitely got to check that one out. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, I like that idea. Like what you just said, I just being able to take a different angle to, to telling these stories. And I also like the fact that there aren't a lot of really good, um, comedy horror movies out there. They're just, they're 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 the ones that do that are able to accomplish this. Go, the, everybody knows about it. Everybody loves them, and I feel like a lot of people have have kind of forgotten about Theater of Blood. At least, at least in my opinion, just because I have not heard a lot of people bring it up as a really good comedy horror film. And I think it might be because it really, um, it really rides this very thin line of you know the campiness part of it which i think even in the 70s um like now a lot of the parts are are extra campy but i think even in the 70s it was meant to be semi-campy as well um i just think it feels a little more campier now but but a lot of those jokes they're they're not they're not in your face they're they don't feel forced you it's just something that you kind of you can kind of chuckle at but then also kind of like marvel at this sort of craziness that is going on and the and the serial killerness that is going on <laughs> as well yeah. I, it kind of makes me think of um 
uh, seven a little bit the the movie seven where the cops know exactly what this guy's doing <laughs> after a while they know that they can't stop him though yeah <laughs> it's 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 wonderful to see in in a movie like this um so yes i am glad you brought this man i had a really good time with it at first i was like man spencer brought me this long ass movie because <laughs> <laughs> normally i'm like oh let's try to keep these babies at about you know <laughs> 90 minutes but Dude, it went by fast. Like oh. it went by pretty fast. Oh yeah, and it's like it's just—it's basically like a a proto slasher, uh, in in certain ways. And it's just like what it, I mean. This is like the kind of the the tail end of like the great streak of horror movies uh, that Vincent Price was doing. Because I haven't seen a lot of them. Like I only know like the the big major ones. But like, yeah. uh, I think because I think. After this, I think his health started to decline, and he was a little less active. But this is like one of the last real big, like, oh, this is uh, from what I understand, like, uh, like, oh, this is just him, like, going for it, being, uh, like, because he was a legit, a legitimately great performer, but also like he knew like when to be campy, when to not be campy. Exactly. Yeah, he kind of got pigeonholed in the in the horror genre um we actually did cover the last man on earth so this is the second time that that we honor vincent price and i'm sure not the last because he has so many good uh good movies and he did get kind of pigeonholed in that in that uh, genre but it's because he does it so damn well but it definitely wasn't uh the only thing he can do uh he he could definitely do other types of movies and I think he's able to kind of touch a little bit on um, some some different things in this one, you know, from from the the little bit of comedy to the little bit of of, of horror to the suspense to just being kind of um, uh, mysterious in a lot of ways. I, I he just got to be kind of flex all the muscles, <laughs> all the <laughs> acting muscles that he has in this movie. And he's at a good age, you know, he's been doing this for a long... I'm not sure how old he is in this movie, but he's definitely not young anymore. He's not a young, spry lad. He definitely can't... He, can't, definitely, can't, <laughs> he definitely can't be on the edge of a building and climb it the way he does. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, in his early 60s when this came out. Wow, dude. Yeah, I was like, oh, stunt double, do your work um, in that scene at the end. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah man um i uh if if uh if did you do you have any did you ever uh hear about this director um of the movie like did you ever see any of his his other work this Doug, douglas hickox i i really wasn't familiar with him um not really uh, yeah me either i was like i mean he's uh definitely like, has a long history of filmography <laughs> but i was like yeah i need to watch some of these yeah uh i i I, I get the feeling, like just looking at his his uh, filmography, like he worked pretty much in British TV yeah. for a big chunk of it. So uh, it's understandable that, like you know, he that like uh, I feel like a lot of Americans probably would have no idea who he uh, like who <laughs> <Yes>. he was. <laughs> the and I don't do a lot of research on my show, but the one thing I did notice was the writer. Um, of the screenplay anthony greville bell is an australian how about them aussies i think we have i think the <laughs> podcast you has about four australians that listen to this show so hey what's up y'all and uh this guy has an interesting history he has this long um military career as a uh, in the special air service during world war ii 
and yeah he has like a full story of of i think he was like in germany for like 77 days or something Hmm. like that 73 days um after he dropped into germany and it's just a crazy story this guy like fought i just can't imagine going from something like fighting in world war ii against the germans and then you find yourself screenwriting like <laughs> it's just the idea of that like trying to envision how that happens blows my mind but he he didn't do a whole bunch of screenwriting i think he maybe had three or four works i think just three films actually put um put in um but it's kind of amazing that that this was something that he did and then i think eventually he got into sculpting and he sold he sold like professional sculptures just in a really weird enigmatic person <laughs> so i just wanted yeah. to mention that because i was like wow that's so weird <laughs> but it makes sense when you when you see this movie this guy's weird in a good way in a really good way um yeah. <laughs> but yes i i uh, absolutely um i don't, I don't want to give away my impressions of this of this film yet but dude um yeah just a good time <laughs> yeah i, I mean really the, the other option i was thinking was uh mask of the red death the uh corman one yes but but like that movie is i think almost like a flawless like like masterpiece pretty much but at the same time like but that's been that's been talked to death at least in like it, it, like we're like we're well, i listen to and the people like i i'm a fan of like have talked to him to death so i kind of wanted to go a little more uh a, a little more you know a, a deep a deep cut instead no yeah no it was it was great i i'm so glad you picked it and and again like i loved all the um i loved all i love all the other actors that are in this in this movie just so many great uh great actors that i believe just from kind of looking at some of their their work it seemed to have you know it seemed to be pretty pretty big in in the uk and uh, i especially like diana rigg she i mean she's the one i will mention i i think it's like enid diana elizabeth rigg or something like that um but she is awesome in this movie and there's a reveal this movie with her <laughs> that i just <laughs> i it was one of those i knew it already but i just couldn't wait till i get to actually see the reveal because this is the first time i ever saw the movie oh the first time i saw it i i that the reveal surprised me i i, I generally did not expect that to happen oh you did it that's awesome and the second time through uh yesterday i was like oh it's it's obvious from the beginning yes i um yeah i'm definitely not like some kind of incredible perceptive person it's part of what i do i think part of what i do for a living is being as perceptive as i can but there was just something about the the she definitely did a great job of capturing the body movements but yes i think it was I'll, i have it somewhere in my notes when i noticed it but it wasn't right away it wasn't right away she did a really good job and um it also helps that she has a very kind of um uh, i don't know i guess almost baritone like female voice and she has a lot of <laughs> she has a pretty solid voice like damn <laughs> like holy shit she has a really good voice but uh but yeah she's she's fantastic in this movie and had such a good time and i love all the critics like every critic has its own thing um have their own personality and their own style but um if you're ready man we can start uh get, digging into this movie and kind of pop it into our favorite scenes all right all right so uh this movie kicks off with like silent film era dramatic clips a lot of death scenes and i'm i'm no film expert so i haven't seen a lot of these um 
movies, but I'm guessing these are all silent era screenplays of Shakespearean um, movies I, that, that they cover in this movie, I'm yeah. guessing. As my assumption, uh, <laughs> I, I, really, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I like the idea. I love I love the idea of showing that, and uh, especially in silent era, because everything had to be so much more augmented, like their reactions and what they were doing. It just works yeah. really well with the the open credits. I don't even usually talk about open credits, but this was so different that I decided to mention it. Um. Memento mori, an object serving as a warning or reminder of death. Death is inevitable, but how it happens can be tragically unfair. It can be dark, cruel, hateful, or just plain bizarre. I'm Megan, and I'll be your guide through these stories of chaos and devastation. Come listen as we dive into all types of true crime cases and learn about the evil that lurks among us as well as the victims that deserved none of it. Join me every Monday for a missing person minisode, and every Thursday for a regular episode. You can go to MementoMoriPod.com for more information. Monsters are real, and they look like people. Either way, very fun. So then after all that, we're introduced to uh, Maxwell. I, I don't know if I have his last name, but his, his uh, last name is... Uh, I don't know if I have his first name, but his last name is Maxwell. And he's all yeah. pissed off because... The paper took out his favorite part of his review, so we are introduced <laughs> to our first critic, who does something that I'm pretty sure a lot of critics mm -hmm. do, just read their own review and bask in their greatness and all their opinions and all that stuff. I can't even listen to my own episodes. After I'm done editing, mm -hmm. I'm just sick of my stupid voice. I don't know about you, but... Uh, <sighs> after well, uh, four years, uh, I still don't <laughs> like it, but... But kind of like, well, I have to do it, so no one else will. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I once I'm done editing, it's like I just say goodbye to that baby. I'm like goodbye. People will be like, people will mention parts of shows, and I'm just like, I don't. This might happen to you, and they'll, they'll mention parts like I don't remember any of that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's uh, he gets a call uh, from from Five O, and they tell him. Apparently, he is the chairman of some committee, the redevelopment committee. He's they a, tell him he needs. He, he's a slumlord, basically. Oh, is that what he is? Oh shit! Uh, yeah, yeah, more or less. Like, like he, like he, uh, he owns a building, or like they, uh, they own, they owe rent. Like it, it it's kind of hinted at. Like it's, it took the second time to realize, like what, uh, like what that really was. Yeah, because uh, he even tells. I guess that's his wife with them. He tells her. Um, that oh, there's there's squatters in in the building that we own that we plan to be basically uh, um, breaking down. Like they plan on shutting that whole building down and, and blowing that thing up, and so they need to get them all out out of that out of that uh, building. So he heads on down, and uh, his his wife tells him that she has a bad feeling about it she had a bad dream this and that it's actually a really good way of adding suspense to the movie right away because they do a lot of close-ups of her face and she looks incredibly nervous there's a thunderstorm going on so it really adds to the atmosphere of what's going what's going to happen yeah and, and uh, uh, i i believe you see the uh uh the uh white Lionheart's assistant uh for the first time here or like honestly, like some of it kind of blends together, but in a bad way. But it's kind of like 
you, you know, like, um, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, we can go wherever you want, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me. That, it doesn't bother me that kind of blends together. But like, yeah, I think maybe you see the assistant for the first time pre uh, grand reveal at the end. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, is that is that his assistant in that scene with Maxwell? I don't know. I can't tell. Oh, I guess it's, that's a, it's someone who's in on it, so I think it probably is. Oh, dude, I didn't even notice that. Um, and then uh, so he takes off. He arrives at the building, and he sees a couple of officers there. And I, I immediately am a little suspect because I mean I get that British officers maybe don't. Mm-hmm they're a little different than how they run things but asking the chairman of some committee to go tell a bunch of squatters to get out when you're the guys that are <laughs> <laughs> that are officers i found kind of odd but he goes into the building it's it's completely decrepit just falling apart and he starts poking at all he finds all these squatters and basically homeless homeless people that all they all kind of have they put uh stuff on their face and they they basically they look like they're um heavy drinkers and all other kinds of substances they are not doing well y'all yeah he starts poking them yeah it feels like um night of living dead like the ghouls yes these people are immediately terrifying um and honestly continue to be terrifying they might be the scariest part of the movie to be honest because um they eventually start standing up because at first they seem absolutely just like hardly there just sort of in comatose states but he starts poking them and they start standing up and for some reason there's blades there's butcher knives and solid like daggers and all kinds (laughs) of stuff very nearby and maxwell sees him sees them grabbing all this stuff he's like okay and he looks to the officers like are y'all gonna help me or (laughs) what's gonna happen here and the officers are are in on it yes uh you we quickly notice because they just basically stand there so we know right away either these guys are getting paid or they're a part of this whole thing he tries to get away they push him against what looks like wax paper but <laughs> it's some <laughs> kind of construction uh, uh some kind of curtain thing that's hanging down and they stab the shit out of him he gets yeah. out of the wax paper <laughs> walks toward walks toward one of the officers like bro why didn't you help me and holy shit <laughs> it is vincent price in one of in the very first costume <laughs> that we see him in out of very many <laughs> in this movie and yeah he comes in and there is one uh, pattern in this movie right mm-hmm. uh spencer that he does where he says the lines it's For- he has an entire repertoire He's what he keeps calling it a repertoire, a word yeah. that I never fucking use. Uh, <laughs> repertoire sounds like a old people medication. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, yeah. it's one of those French words. Like if I say it, I know I'm saying it wrong, so I don't want to yeah. say it out loud. <laughs> oh, I'm saying it wrong for sure, bro. But I don't give a shit. Everyone's so used to me saying words wrong. I mean, I mean, I normally when I say horror, it just mm-hmm. sounds like I'm saying whore. So, yeah, like, I don't like say a, that, but uh, I'm sure you're you're used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I try so hard; it just it comes out like horror. 
<sighs> Anyways, I don't have anything against whores anyway. I mean, it's the oldest profession in the States, everyone. Show mm. some respect. Work is work. Hell yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so Vincent Price says uh, he, 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 re- he uh, recites a passage of Julius Caesar. And, um, and right away, Maxwell's like, wait, Lionheart, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that that is the end of good old Maxwell. I th- I'm not sure. Does I think uh, Lionheart does he stab him? I think uh, um, sure. he finishes him off for sure. He was already dying. Yeah, he's like bleeding out. Yeah, and uh, this is the pattern of every single murder. Is because uh, th- they say at some point that uh, every murder of a critic is a reference to to uh, one of the Shakespeare plays where they gave him the worst review. Yes, um, he. We find uh, in the movie that he keeps this sort of. Um, it kind of reminded me of the Joker, uh, Batman, nineteen eighty nine, where mm-hmm. he's starting to create this little scrapbook. In that film, he has this whole scrapbook of all the critics' um, articles, and specifically focuses on the ones that, like Spencer said, hit really hard on, on his on his uh, plays. And he targets them specifically with that play in mind, and we find out that he's picking the the murders, uh, or at least a specific murder in those plays. And there is a little twist that we find uh, as we get through this um, that he does on his own because he's like, well, you know, sometimes you just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta kind of, kind of like make it work your way. But I mean, yes, it, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's Shakespeare. Like it's your, it's all of, all the interpretation. It, exactly, and, and one is really like. I mean, I get where you're coming from, but it's also a bit of a stretch. But also, it's such a cool scene. It's like, eh, it's a cool kill. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's fine. <laughs> so, uh, so Maxwell is is gone, and um, and then we were at a we were at a critics meeting because we actually Maxwell mentions the critics meeting. This is the first time, and I wanted to talk about this one because mm-hmm. this is the first time that we see all the different shades of of pretentiousness that you could imagine <laughs> yeah in one room they're all a little bit different but yet all pretend it's just magical um yeah my and- favorite one is uh they all have great names uh because one of them is like a trevor dickman one is horace sprout uh the one with the dogs meredith uh, Marydu, is my yes. favorite one because he uh, he's like super possessive of like his two little poodles. He's he almost has a, the his two little poodles he has in his arms basically the entire time. Yeah, Meredith. Um, he seems like Meredith. Meredith sounds seems like he came off of Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> like yeah. he has that kind of craziness and silliness about his character, and and quite possibly in my opinion, I get they all. All the critics go out pretty hard. He's the one that I would not want to go out like that. <laughs> he might yeah. have the worst one, um, which is kind of interesting um, when we get to that because it kind of has a connection to Vincent Price himself, uh, which I'll, I'll touch on. But yeah, so Maxwell's gone. We're at the critics meeting, and they realize that Maxwell passed away, and one of them says. <laughs> at last a headline he says i think he says 
finally, instead of a headline, we get a byline or something like that because <laughs> they want to write about their fellow critic who who was murdered. Yeah. And this is when we meet Mr. Devlin. And this guy is, I guess, almost the secondary main character. We get a lot of Devlin in this movie, and I thought yeah. he did a pretty good job. Yeah, you, like, you could say he's a villain, but at, but at certain points, like, is Vincent Price a villain? But then it's like, well, I like Vincent Price more than the critics. But they're, <laughs> I mean, he takes it too far, but like, uh, I didn't mind it. They're, they're kind of assholes. Yeah, this movie's full of assholes. There's really no actual um, protagonist to me because everybody is kind of a piece of shit, which is honestly closest to reality than we understand. And uh, yeah, Devlin never really falters. The one thing I'll give Devlin this man does not falter throughout the entire movie he is a, a piece of shit and, and accepts the piece of shit he is and is, is so egotistical that he is just not willing to even save his own life by changing his own like by changing his opinion he just he's willing to die for his opinion on how bad he thinks that Lionheart is an is an actor yeah, which astonishes me yeah even uh, uh, Ebert uh, would re- would re-review uh, uh, movies from before like uh, sometimes like if he felt like maybe I was too hard on this or maybe I didn't get it he would go back and review it a second time yeah and that that you know he's he's known as a really stubborn stubborn guy uh, back in the day and or he was known as a very stubborn guy back in the day so yes it, it's it's astonishing to me and and, he, and I think Devlin kind of gives us a slight little um a slight little hint of of how he sees Lionheart because he he's with the he's with a detective who I'm just going to call Detective Eyebrows because this guy has the most insane brows that you could imagine. It's almost as if he's styling them. But Devlin yeah. mentions to him uh, he never liked Lionheart's acting and actually says that you begin to resent an actor after always giving them bad reviews. <laughs> so he just not only didn't like Lionheart, like not only did he not like Lionheart as an actor, he began to just not like him as a person because he was so pissed off that this guy would not stop doing what he was doing and not improving. With you know, you you would think after he would read some critics' reviews, he would start pivoting his career, but that is just not how Edward Lionheart rolls. So we see. Um, we go back and we find out that Lionheart is hanging out in this big old auditorium, this big old theater. That was like an actual abandoned theater, by the way, um, where they filmed. Yeah, it looked like it. I'm sure, like, and it's it's England, so they probably have a bunch of like this abandoned theaters like this laying around. Yeah, I know, because I kept wondering throughout this whole movie, why don't the cops check out abandoned theaters? But there's probably a shitload. Yeah. You kind of like like I've seen enough Italian horror movies to be like, there must be castles like like every other block in Italy because you <laughs> see so yeah. many castles in like Italian movies. <laughs> There's a lot to use out there, unlike here in the states where you really gotta find something. But yes, out there, there's probably plenty of plenty of those theaters. Yeah, I mean, he's in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and this, like over here, like an old building is 80 years old, but like in, but in, in Europe, an old building is like 800 years old. It's so amazing, man. Uh, for all those people that, you know, and not to say I don't, you know, I, I'm sure there's stuff out there. I just, it's unexplainable. But for those people that believe in spirits and ghosts, mm. man, the UK must be terrifying to them or Europe in general. Oh yeah. Just so many old buildings made of all kinds of shit with all these people that have died in there. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> It's terrifying. Um, so 
so yes, uh, we 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 find out that Lionheart is hanging out in this in this old theater, and this is the first time we see his uh, we see his stage manager, who is a dude with a fantastic mustache, big old <laughs> poofy hair, and full denim. It's fantastic, and uh, we see him walking with another guy, it's, uh, with another critic, Hector. So this will be our second killing. I want to go through all these killings really quick. Yeah. He's using a, a used... He's has like a fantastic used car salesman jacket. <laughs> Hector does. <Yeah>. Hector Snipe. <laughs> Hector Snipe. And he goes down to the area underneath the stage, which I'm sure has a name, but I don't know what that is. And, yeah, I don't uh, know either. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, I was not a theater kid, if you couldn't tell from... We talked about Shakespeare earlier, so like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Same these here. I honestly wish I had joined. I'm sure I would have been able to speak to more girls if I had joined theater instead of being in band with all oh, the yeah, weirdos. Yeah, not to turn into like this kind of a show, but like I heard in college, like if you did theater, you'd hook up with girls a lot more. And then in college, I was like, are you fucking serious? I could have done theater <laughs> this whole time. Exactly. I mean, I could have been like a light guy and I still would have been able to speak to somebody. <laughs> So, uh, so he goes in there and he ends up telling Hector, because uh, Hector actually finds a scrapbook with all of the the shitty reviews cut out and placed in the book, and Lionheart comes down in this small freight elevator and he's in like this Dark Knight costume. Or he looks something like, like that. It's, it's like a Batman appearance. <laughs> it does. It's it's terrifying. Hector's actually actually acting as like super cool about the situation, but I would have been freaking out if some dude just slid down on a freight elevator in this uniform and and Hector starts backtracking because he's like oh remember I left you that good review on Achilles and <laughs> and Lionheart starts reading the rest of the review which has some very da- damning statements just about the production and also about Lionheart himself sucking and, yeah, and, uh, and, Li- and Lionheart mentions something about a this is the first time we hear about that Critics Award presentation. Yeah, probably. and we should note, uh, uh, Vincent Price was not a short man. He was NBA height. He, he was 6'4". Oh, yeah. That's a big dude. He's not messing around, man. Yeah, I'm, so, so like him I'm appearing, 5'10 with, with Doc Martens on. <laughs> so him like appearing out, basically out of shadows looking like Batman, like that would be legit scary. <laughs> it really would be. And, uh, and yeah, and, and Hector actually ends up blaming Devlin for what happened at, at that award ceremony. And then um, Hector runs into that stage manager who then they basically lift up Hector um, in the freight, put him onto the stage and they hold him up. And Lionheart just stabs him with this. He basically impales him with a with a spear. That's the yeah. end of good old Hector Snipe. Yeah, and and it's this uh, an amazing sequence of like he's basically like launched like like a like it's a kid's game show almost, yeah. <laughs> and you see the spear go through him, which is even it cooler. Is rough. Yes, I I do like the 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 gore that is throughout this movie. It's not a, it's not even like I like that it's kind of sprinkled throughout. It's not constant in your face, but when it's there, it's a lot of fun. They did a good job with a, a lot of the practical effects. Yeah, and this. Play. I had to look up the list of play because, like, I I know all the basic Shakespeare stuff, and that's kind of it. But this one is Troilus and Cressida. Which yes, I never heard of that one. Honestly, I not like some of the plays mentioned in this. Uh, I never heard of until I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, the Troilus and Cressida, I never heard of, um, and apparently. The, the way that that person dies is after that, um, 
After he's murdered, without warning, his body's dragged from the battlefield, tied to a horse's tail, and that is exactly what happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is one thing that we'll notice is that Lionheart is a man of his word. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I love this attention to detail because, like the podcast, the UI, I mentioned, like they uh, they get into like the Shakespeare detail, and it's like, oh no, like this is like accurate to the Shakespeare plays, like like they do yeah. their. Uh, like do they, they, they do their homework and figure out like okay where's a great murder in this Shakespeare play let's recreate that. Yes, it is, um, it, and it's it's it, this is like, you know, to Lionheart as we start watching this movie, we you know as we're going through it, we notice that this is to to him he is simply acting and and recreating these scenes and it is a part of a of his own performance um you even hear a lot i really do like the addition of of hearing audience clapping to him in this empty auditorium Mm -hmm. and it goes to show like how much he has been lost mentally (laughs) like he is yeah like it's it's fun at first like him monologuing like uh and and doing a julie caesar segment but then every time it happens again it's like Oh, this guy is is uh has lost it completely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, at first you're like, oh, you know, this is you, especially when you realize the the reason he lost his shit. You know, like it's not like they killed his family member or something like that. They just simply we find out just didn't give him an award that he really wanted. <laughs> 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 he decided to just completely go bonkers on him, and, yeah, and I, I part of me kind of wishes like the more combat people uh, see this movie because they could do like a like some cool stuff with Johnny Cage, like not winning an Oscar or something oh, like yeah. w- work that into the storyline. <laughs> Johnny Cage, my favorite Mortal Kombat character, to be honest. Oh, seriously, I Johnny love Johnny Cage. Cage. Oh, I'm a Kung yeah, Lao dude. guy. Kung Lao and Cabal have always been my favorites. Oh yeah, I love I like Cabal. I like Cabal a lot. Um, but yes, uh, we we're at the Maxwell's funeral, and uh, we can see Maxwell's wife making that face like I told you that you shouldn't have gone <laughs> to that building. <laughs> and and uh, uh, what is his name? The um, Meredith is has his two dogs at the funeral, and uh, like it goes from being real sad to being like, "Oh, this is a goofy movie." <laughs> like, yes, see it. yes, it goes. It just kind of just ebbs and flows into comedy and horror, and uh, and yeah, we eventually get to. And also, uh, Devlin is there, and he does notice somebody walk by, and right before he can start asking about it, the funeral's over. We get a glimpse of Lionheart, who is wearing another con- uh, unconvincing <laughs> costume. He looks more like a prospector than a gravedigger in this scene. Yeah, like 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 you didn't notice this this six and a half foot man who is <laughs> digging the grave the whole time, who it's looks insane. like Lionheart. <laughs> it's just absolutely insane. Yes, we we I told myself that a lot in my notes as as the movie goes on. I'm like, how do you not recognize this guy's voice? It's Vincent Price. <laughs> he sounds weird. No one else sounds like him. Uh, so he. Do, uh, do you we, think <laughs> that was his actual voice, or do you think that was like a like a affectation he did for like performance? I think, I think it's a slight affectation. I, I don't think it's completely like way off. I think even I do that a little bit for my show. Mm-hmm. Like even for my show, I think I put on a slight different voice, but it's not that different. I think maybe his is a little 
more of an extent to his actual yeah. voice. I'm so yeah. curious to because like people like that is like in Earth or Kiss and those are like, is that her real voice or not? Just like something she did like when she was speaking in public. Yeah, that is an interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, I never even thought about that. I just always assumed that's how he sounded all the time. <laughs> yes, I'll take a number two. <laughs> <laughs> I just him ordering at Burger King or some shit. Oh yeah, um, uh, a friend of mine, her mom used to live in uh, San Francisco, and she saw Vincent Price walking from the liquor store in in a robe and slippers, with a with a brown bag, and he is and he is like hissed at her when she said hi. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh man, this dude's awesome. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's when we we are at the funeral, and that's when we see Hector's body being dragged by the horse. He's completely just messed up, obviously. And uh, for some reason, the t- the detective is there. Detective Eyebrows is there, and Devlin mentions that critics tend to uh, make enemies very easily. So everyone's scared. Poodle's got Poodle guy is scared. Meredith <laughs> is scared. And eventually, that's when we meet um, uh, uh, Lionheart's daughter, Edwina, I believe. Edwina, yeah. Edwina, like who that. I absolutely love. Yeah, and it's uh, like that's like, that's like the first real instance of like, oh, this guy was uh, a complete egotist because he named his daughter basically the same name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's like I can't think of a name. I can't think of a name. That's like if I named my daughter Daniela. <laughs> I'm like, uh, let's just name her Daniela. Yeah. Um. And she's amazing. I like how she's so dramatic. She, you know, he comes up to her, and she's at she's at the supposed uh, gravesite of her father, and Devlin comes up and talks to her, and she right away knows it's him. So, like the first like two minutes of her conversation with him, she's not even looking at him in his face. <laughs> she's looking <laughs> away, just talking shit to him. I love it, and uh, he kind of mentions like, "Hey, we never found a body." And she's like, oh, you're just getting in your own head because of your guilt of what you did. But we still, the audience doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. But we'll find out. That's the mystery of this whole movie. But yes, and also I kind of feel like Devlin has a soft spot for her. It might just be because she's pretty, but I yeah. don't know. Uh, they were on the Avengers together, apparently. Oh, they did have a soft spot. <laughs> they may have had some opportunities, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I mean, if you work with Diana Rigg a whole bunch back in the day, like, wouldn't you at some point be like, hey, uh, after we're done? Oh, at some point, the first time I saw her, I would have fell in love. It would have just been true. <laughs> so we, uh, we head back to the stage, and we're, we're there for dress rehearsal for Cymbeline. Cymbeline. I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, yeah. Cymbeline? <laughs> and we see a giant trunk that is there in the theater. We run into then uh, Horace Sprout. And we get to see Horace Sprout, who, by the way, here's a deep cut uh, for y'all San Antonio listeners out there. All you know, I'm not sure how many I get there. There is an old grocery store chain in only in San Antonio called Handy Andy, and Horace Sprout looks just like the mascot, whose name was Handy Andy. Anyway, so yeah. uh, I can say about San Antonio when I lived in Texas, my parents went there once for something work related. And they said uh, it was very nice and clean, but it was uh, uh, it's so far because we lived in Abilene. Which, oh wow, that's a distance. 
Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, Texas is not a small place. Like, Abilene is basically, like, the northwest part. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it, like basically, San Antonio was, like, was a world away. Yeah, that's, like, a whole different... And I mean, that's kind of the way Texas is. Like, all different parts of it feel like a whole different area. It, it feels like it takes forever just to get the hell out of that state <laughs> when you're trying to travel out of it. Um, yes, man. Uh, and, yeah, for all, for those five... San Antonio listeners, y'all remember Handy Andy. So uh, he, uh, he he notices this giant f- freaking trunk in his bedroom. <laughs> the wife notices it first, and he sees it. He's astonished. This might be the most comedic cut. <laughs> Again, I feel like the most comedic killing in the whole movie, in my opinion. Uh, because the, <laughs> it's so the, weird. The Joan of Arc one, I think, is the, the funniest. <laughs> It's also the most, like, there's some stuff in this movie that, like, wouldn't fly today, but in the oh, context yeah. of this movie, it's like, eh, whatever, like, yeah, it's offensive, but it's not the worst. I've seen, I've seen it uh, so much worse. Yeah, and they're having a good time. You know, like, to me, that's kind of what my show feels like. I'm having a good time. So, yeah, maybe sometimes I might say things not great, but hey. It's, it's, we're just having a smile here. We're just having some jokes. If it's funny, it's funny. And yes, you know, we do try to show respect, as much respect as we can, but this was 1973, so <laughs> let's just, But you're right, though. There are some things that would totally not fly <laughs> today in this movie. Uh, and I do love... This might, this might be um, maybe my second favorite, because, yes, they, 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 you know... Sprout tries to get into the treasure chest and he can't because he needs a key. And the wife is like, it's late. Let's just go to sleep. So they go to sleep. Somehow, Vincent Price stays inside that trunk. I would have had cramps and shit. There's just no <laughs> way I could have stayed in there without hurting myself. And they yeah, get out eventually. It's a, it's a Trojan trunk, which yeah. the, the previous um, play murder was uh, uh, based off of the uh, Trojan War. So it's like... Uh, I don't know. I, I, if I was a Shakespeare nerd, I could probably, I'd probably know like the exact scene and all that. But it does just seem weird. Like the the Trojan War play is the one without the like the Trojan, um, Trojan yeah. horse, uh, uh, me- uh, mechanism. Exactly. It gives that vibe yeah. um, of the 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 way they were. Yes, it's kind of genius in a way. Because even horse, you know tries to move it and obviously there's people in there so he's like oh, i can't even move it and yeah there's and a little spot we, yeah it's smartly we never see uh them move it because you get like the scene and the hideout and then it's like well how are they going to get it there and it's never answered <laughs> but like yeah. in the scene is so fun and goofy it's like it, it doesn't even matter <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like ah, who cares well let's just enjoy it and so it's just him and his uh, his stage manager, and the in the fro and the mustache, uh, looking fantastic. And they they have a full surgical tray <laughs> with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of uh, surgical um, I don't know tools. And so they put out a they first they shoot both him and his wife with uh, some sort of serum that knocks him out. And they start working on good old Horace, and then it's the next morning, and yeah, and you get like you get like it's extended, and it's like he's like sheet, sheet, lipstick, lipstick, scalpel, <laughs> and then like the, the point where like the, the blood sprays a little too much, and he's like basin, basin, <laughs> he's a basin. <laughs> yeah, the blood is squirting. <laughs> 
there's a this is one of the more bloodier kills but i think the way they try to balance it out is by making it as silly as possible because there's even a part where i think the wife starts to wake up and he's like just stabs her in the butt again with a syringe <laughs> and she goes oh and they're in, <laughs> and they're in full surgical gear like like uh this is like this is a full performance just for themselves yes you're right i didn't even think about that yeah this would just be because they're wanting <laughs> to have fun you know, it's like, oh, well, we're gonna be, we're gonna be physician. We're gonna I mean, we're gonna be uh, surgical uh, uh, doctors in this. So we we need to dress the part. You know, we're theatrical for God's <laughs> sakes. Let's put it. You know, let's go to the nines. Yes, they have such a good time. It's probably one of the funnier scenes. Um, and and honestly, Horace, like, we didn't even really get to know him that well. So you kind of like, damn, this poor guy that looks like a turtle is just, damn, he's <laughs> he's done. Yeah, he's like the old one, and that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, he really doesn't do much. And the the maid comes through in the morning and with breakfast, and she sees his face, which looks like I get, it almost looks prosthetic. Um, it's crazy, and she faints, falls to the floor. The wife wakes up, she sees him, pushes him, his head falls off, <laughs> <laughs> falls to the floor. The maid is just about coming to, and of course she sees the head again and freaks the hell out talk about a rough morning at the job <laughs> yeah jeez and uh the to just the i think the cherry topping of this entire plan of lionhearts is he <laughs> 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 tell me a little bit what happens at devlin's place because <laughs> <laughs> this is another like wait how did this happen but it, it doesn't matter somehow they get the severed head from the house and they and they uh, carry it to Devlin's apartment, and they stick it uh, where like they where he gets like his newspaper every morning. And he, so he, uh, without looking, grabs for newspaper, and then he feels like hair, and he looks down and he realizes it's his critic's friend's severed head, like right, uh, like in his flower pot or like wherever. <laughs> <laughs> it is so messed up, man. Just like pushed on to that and he freaks the hell out like anyone else would um and also i just realized a lot of a lot of i don't know if you know this spencer but uh, my my podcast is known for 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 noticing how many rich whites are in each of my movies that i cover and um a lot of rich whites in this movie y'all just <laughs> so, you know and uh we do see a lot of because i i at first i was like oh these are critics you know how much money do they make they make a lot of money y'all um, yeah, which Jesus. is not which is not the reality of right now, but like man, to be a critic back then, that's a uh, that's crazy. Oh, they were doing good. Yeah, back then. I, I mean, I I may have actually considered being a journalist back then. If, if <laughs> not now, but man, they were they were doing all right because uh, Devlin's place looks absolutely amazing. He's got this, and it's actually a really well-known apartment um in that area where it was filmed and I, I i forgot they said somebody owns it now who's like super super rich and yes he sees horace's uh dead ass head and he calls the cops the cops arrive detective eyebrows um asks another detective with a really fantastic mustache i will call him detective mustache <laughs> and uh he tells him to get the head but he's grossed out so he asks some constable to do it he's like oh you do it i don't want to look i don't want to touch this gross head and then the detective um gets a list of Devlin's remaining colleagues because obviously there's a pattern going on and detective mustache uh he tells him to call them 
our uh, eyebrows tells Detective Mustache to call all of them and let them know, hey, stay put. Uh, for right now, they'll go anywhere, but we're going to have a special meeting at Devlin's place, and we all need to talk about this and get this straightened out. So, the cops, by the way, what is your idea of how the cops are represented in this movie? Because they are they are just buffoons, in my opinion, throughout all of this. I, uh, that's like the part I always forget, honestly, because they, they kind of pretty do nothing the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. they're, they're just useless. They really are. They really are. And uh, we get with... Uh, then we see Dickman, uh, Trevor Dickman. And uh, he sees a lady with sexy boots. And it is obviously um, Edwina. And she sort of coaxes him into uh, coming with her. She seduces him a little bit to come to a rehearsal that Sprout, apparently, she says, used to run. And he go. He, she didn't really have to twist his ankle for this. She, he goes ahead and goes with her. And just... Just when they leave, the cops are just arriving to go get him because they knew he was at lunch and they completely missed him. Oh, so sorry, Dickman. <laughs> he arrives at the theater with Edwina and she says that they are doing uh, something called Living Theater. And then we see Vincent Price come out as Father Christmas. Uh, <laughs> or at least that's what I thought he was coming out as. But no, uh, it is uh, the play Merchant of Venice. Yes, a play that is controversial now. And uh, and uh, he's he's a Shylock character, and yes. I didn't like honestly until recently again like I don't know anything about theater I didn't know why this was a like a problematic play and then it's like watching this like oh this is why because it's uh, Shylock is the horrific Jewish uh, Jewish stereotype that has carried on for uh, centuries and this kind of fairly amplified it. Oh, I did not know that. That might explain some of the uh, the look of <laughs> the, the 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 racist type look. Yeah, because it's yeah, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, man, I did not know that. Um, and it is a uh, it is rough uh, how this how this uh, unfolds for uh, for for Dickface. Um, <laughs> I mean, Dickman. Uh, he <laughs> he he's trying to show off. For Edwina, and they they go. She gives him a script. He's like, "I'm not. I'm a critic. I'm not an actor." And she's like, "Just, just you know, for me." And so he starts reading, and he's trying really hard. And they go back and forth reading the passages from the play, and in the play, uh, eventually, uh, the character that Dickman is playing, uh, I think it gets his heart taken out. Right? Is this this yeah. one? No. Is this the one? Yes. 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 And this is like the loose interpretation because he owes a pound of flesh. Yes, and yeah. uh, so Vincent Price um, cuts out his heart like uh, like Kano in Mortal Kombat, and <laughs> and he weighs it on the uh, on a weight. He's like, oh, eighteen ounces, two ounces uh, over a pound. <laughs> <laughs> he takes a little bit off, just tosses it. He's like, there we go, we're done. Uh, and this is a, a big moment where we see them bowing to a crowd that isn't there, and we just hear the audience cheering um, that isn't there. So it's 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 kind of interesting to just see, like, wow, these people are just really <laughs> losing their shit. Um, so, yeah, then we find out that, uh, you know, the police are trying to get in on it. They're trying to at least make some sort of an impact on this case. And they're, they're telling Devlin that... Um, you know they're going to try to protect all of the the critics that are left, 
And Devlin mentions to them, like, yeah, I think this might be this guy. You know, I have all these posters. And if you notice, the correlation between all these posters is that they have Lionheart's name on it. And they all, so far, have reflected the, the killings that have happened, um, according to, um, to, to, uh, to Devlin. And so, you know, I feel like the detectives were like, Detective Eyebrows was definitely not sold on it. Because he's like, well, isn't that guy dead? I mean, hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I just don't know if that's a if it's a good. Yeah, he probably thought Devlin was just being paranoid, but he does mention uh, the Critic Circle Awards, and this is when we get the full uh, storyline of what happened. Basically, Lionheart was convinced that he was going to get the Best Actor Award, and he even oh man, I wonder if this actually happened has happened in real life. Maybe you would know, but he actually mm-hmm. rose to his feet to accept it. And he <laughs> called someone else's name. <laughs> Yeah, That's uh, so embarrassing. <laughs> and he like so he goes to the uh, learns where the secret meetings happening, and he barters and takes the award. And oh, uh, yeah, and there's being uh, drunk assholes, and they're just like gawking at him, like oh look at this fool, and then he jumps off the ledge. Oh man! And the whole time he's doing the um, to be or not to be passage, which I love. I love that whole thing. I don't have it memorized, but I kind of want to memorize it for funds. I love it. It's yeah, so that, dramatic. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that whole like passage, like until I uh, was in college and took a, a lecture class and recovered Hamlet, I didn't know what it actually meant, and I was at, at nineteen shocked to learn like, wait, that's about suicide, because it's <laughs> such a cause such a punchline, like you know, like everyone knows it, and then having like zero knowledge, and it's like, so Hamlet was like mind-blowing when I was 19 because like uh, I, like, I, I didn't know it dealt with so much stuff <laughs> yeah the first emo oh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so then uh, Devlin mentions that um, after he took that by the way y'all fantastic dummy work or whatever this is because he <laughs> takes a Superman's dive on off that balcony he's stiff as a fucking board going down it's beautiful and he falls into water, so that's what's kind of mysterious. They never really found his body. So then Devlin, Devlin mentions that um, they really don't know if he's dead. And um, and so then all of a sudden a card comes in or a package comes in for him, and it's from Dickface. And the, <laughs> the card reads, I'm sorry I missed the meeting, but my heart is with you. He opens the box, and guess what, everyone? There's a heart in there. <laughs> it's so good. So then we meet Oliver Landing. He's one of our other critics who um, he doesn't want to interrupt his fancy life. He wants to go to the wine tasting, um, stick to his normal schedule of richness, you know. Yeah. And the uh, the cop waits for him outside, so he has no idea what's <laughs> going on inside that place. I I really like this bit. I like I, th- <laughs> this one is um, I Landing kind of deserved this because. Why the hell are you going to a damn wine t- tasting when you know you might be getting targeted for murder, like to get killed? Like, just go home, stay home. But he loves the booze, man. He can't <laughs> yeah, say no. He can't give up that uh, that that rich white lifestyle. He has to do all the stereotypical things, like go wine t- <laughs> wine tasting. <laughs> and the play for this whole uh, murder is Richard the Third. Yeah. Which I'm very interested in learning more about because I am not as familiar with Richard III. So I'm going to follow your recommends. Yeah, I think the um, movie is from like '95 or '96. Dude, I got to check it's, it out. It's uh, Ian 
uh, Magneto. What's his name? <laughs> Magneto. <laughs> McKellen? Yes, he him. Uh, he's oh Richard III. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, definitely check it out. But yes, uh, we have uh, Lionheart doing all the, the passages for Richard III. He's, he's got this giant, um, he's got this snostical um, pasted on his face. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and like, and the whole trap of this one is uh, he's, uh, I think it's um, the stage manager is like, oh, hey, we have uh, some uh, extra special wine in, in the in the cellar and then the whole crowd follows them and then that's when the first get first glimpse of like wait that's just the homeless people <laughs> yeah, i was like yeah that's his hobo gang i was like hey i didn't recognize those faces they're all red in the face and shit from all the booze all day and um they follow him down and, and, and i they love all, this whole thing and they all and they all they all have like tuxedos too <laughs> the whole yeah. and like like and like they must have cleaned up pretty nice to like because like somewhere they must have like taken a bath right you're right i feel they are a very interesting part of the film because they're wild cards by the way and they don't really speak i don't even know if they speak i i I, we do see one of one of them does eventually we we hear them say some dialogue but for the most part i'm like wait are these like nails like are these, <laughs> these people grow in the wild and they just got some clothes and but no they're actually homeless people but they just really aren't given a lot of lines and for the most part are pretty um out there and there's even a part where um you know where uh, lionheart is trying to do his play and they all start cheering at a part they're not supposed to be cheering at he's like shut the hell up i'm trying to finish my lines <laughs> So yeah, they're they're kind of chaotic, but for some reason he's able to kind of guide them into doing his bidding for the most part of this movie, and uh, they do take they do take him down uh, uh, Oliver down to the to the wine cellar, and you have Lionheart there reading the review. By the way, every time he's about to do a murder, he reads the review, whether to himself or to the to the person. Yeah, there's a lot of like monologuing to himself, and it's. Yes. Uh, it's so delightful <laughs> yes it's, it's a, yeah we can't really do that justice without like reading a word for word <laughs> but yes it is magical this is definitely one of those movies you kind of have to see it i suggest watching this movie yeah. before hearing this episode yeah. yeah and if like uh all you th- and when you think of vincent price as being like goofy or campy like 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 uh, you see something like this and be like oh no he was like a legitimately great performer <laughs> hell yeah for sure man and uh this is by the by the way this was the scene when i realized oh that stage manager is is edwina like i it was like the voice and the walk i was like oh that's her i I was like holy shit i can't wait till she reveals herself at the end of the movie (laughs) and um yes they do end up putting oliver uh drowning him in a giant ass barrel of wine just dunking his punk ass in there and they fully put him in there. He's wiggling. Eventually, he dies. They nail down the barrel, and Lionheart says, "I wonder if he'll travel well." <laughs> so. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and they 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 see him in there, and I guess they. Uh, I I wish you there was a little bit of follow up on this one, like <laughs> leaving it in front of like Devlin's house or something, but it, it's still pretty great just to see like they shove a man and they. Uh, uh, in a wine, in a a barrel full of wine. 
Yeah, dude, that is a uh, that's a rough one, man. But you know, he died as he lived, just guzzling guzzling wine. That that is a rough one, though. I was like, oh man, they just dunked his ass in there. And then uh, Devlin goes to speak to Edwina, and she says, "If um, <laughs> I like it, because she says, if you were as imaginative in your reviews, you would have been a better critic." Because he's trying to tell her, like, <laughs> "I think your dad's alive." <laughs> <laughs> and uh she's denying it uh and she's so good and it honestly it makes more sense because you're like oh she works in she works in movies and she's been obviously influenced by her father she knows how to act and so she does a really good job of being of acting very innocent um and oblivious to everything that is going on whenever devlin is speaking to her and then Detective Eyebrows comes in, and he lets them know about Landing's death. And Devlin feels bad about them taking Edwina because they the Eyebrows takes her into um, into the precinct to, to basically ask her a couple of questions. And uh, yeah, so Devlin decides to head to fencing school. <laughs> this is the craziest scene of the fucking movie, man. Yeah, and now we're in uh, Romeo and Juliet, and uh, man, this sequence. Like, I never thought I'd ever see an action scene with Vincent Price. But, uh, you know, goddamn it, I got to see it. And it's like, uh, I wish he I wish he would have done, like, I don't know, like a, like a crazy, sleazy action movie around this time. This phase off of this. Oh, my God. I would have loved just some crazy-ass action movie with Vincent Price. <laughs> but... <laughs> And it does help that with with fencing comes a mask because it yeah. is very easy to replace both of these gentlemen with um, athletic individuals to pull off some of these moves. Yeah, and because, he's doing this like yeah. cartoonish uh, German accent the whole time about <laughs> before the reveal. And honestly, Vincent Price's voice is so Vincent Price; he could do any accent. You're like, it's Vincent Price, man! <laughs> like, come on. Uh, but he is trying. He's trying to do some some German type accent, and Devlin actually doesn't know it's him at first. And they're I mean, they're going to spar. Yeah, and like and he's setting up to spar, and he sees this like very tall man w wearing a mask, and it's like, well, all your friends have died under mysterious circumstances, and you're around this very tall man with a with a blade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he noticed he doesn't have that little rubber nipple thing on the tip of the of the blade that they normally use so they don't kill each other. And um, then Lionheart actually removes his little rubber thing. And he's like, there, we're good to go. And he's like, oh, shit. And by the way, when he <laughs> entered, there was uh, one of the hobo crew out there. And he turned the sign because uh, originally it said closed. That's why it's empty. So they're basically setting his ass up. So, yes, he goes, and there is a full spar scene, y'all. It is like watching the Three Musketeers in this bitch, except with trampolines. <laughs> yeah. A lot of trampoline work. Uh, I was just like, holy shit, like, damn. And, uh, yeah, so they go bounce back and forth, and there's a full fight, bouncing on stuff and swinging. But Lionheart gets the best of Devlin. He's able to slice and dice his ass, but he tells, Lion he tells Devlin... I'm going to let you live. I want you to suffer, and I want you to basically, you don't know when I'm going to kill your ass. It could be a, <laughs> tomorrow. It could be a week. It could be a month. You got to deal with that fear, which is, man, that is brutal, bro. Jeez. Oh, that is some cutthroat shit, but I really like that about, I love the fact that he runs into Devlin, reveals himself, <laughs> and has the balls to be like, oh, but I'm going to let you live because I know I'm not going <laughs> to get caught. 
Um, and then after that, uh, after he, he lets him survive, we um, we end the scene. We actually find out how this version of Lionheart came to be, and basically, it's kind of the same story uh, from Catwoman uh, in in the Batman Returns, except replace the cats with homeless people. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kills himself. A bunch of homeless people surround him and start touching him and shit. <laughs> and he comes back. They give him some purple drink. <laughs> <laughs> he, ch- he chugs a little purple drink, chokes on that shit, and he's just like, fuck, I'm a new man, and y'all are my people. Y'all are all so beautiful and dirty. I love you all. You smell weird, and I want to be part of this whole thing. <laughs> it's such a weird scene, dude. <laughs> he get back? I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, he, he washes ashore to, to this community of homeless people, and it's... He sold on it. It's I guess because he was rich and he was probably pretty well off and just didn't realize that there was this whole community of people that were obviously very underserved and in need. And he runs into them and it's like, oh, I will, y'all, y'all accept me, right? (laughs) Y'all will be my new family. Yeah, I mean, it's also like very penguin esque with like the penguin in Batman Returns too, which (laughs) and uh. And Tim Burton, you know, had uh, uh, Vincent Price was in the short film he did like in the eighties, and he, and he was in Edward Scissorhands. So yes, I, the last I, movie. Yeah, I, uh, I think that was third to last. She did a couple kind of oh. minor things after that. But wow, um, I, I'm pretty sure Burton had had either seen this or was a fan of it. You're right, because we're kind of like running into a lot of weird c- connections uh, to that film, and yeah, it's it's very vague and rough, but there really are some strange <laughs> connections to a lot of those bad bad movies for some reason. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm just not I'm not trying to shoehorn Batman into this episode. It's just happening. I mean, he's basically uh, the Joker. Yeah, yeah, he's a little bit of Joker, and he's a little bit of Penguin, and he's a little bit of Catwoman. They just kind of just all mixed in there. Um, and uh, Lionheart uh, asks Devlin, um, he's like, you know what the next, you know, you know what's next in my repertoire. And and then they, they I, I'm sure I'm saying that word wrong and I'm sorry. But yes, that's when we run into the Romeo and Juliet part. And that all that, that dual scene that we we're talking about happens. Then Devlin's in the hospital. Eyebrows asks him like, um, Eyebrows basically tells him like, I believe you now. I believe that this is the killer that he's alive he's like but we're keeping an eye on the daughter you know because obviously they were very close there could be something there and we find out that the next play is othello and uh it's funny because eyebrows asks about like hey well because he's not as familiar with shakespearean film obviously as the critic and so he asks about this movie and uh mustache detective is about to tell him he's like shut the fuck up i'm I'm talking to the critic (laughs) yeah it was great <laughs> and he, we find out that uh, by the way I'm not as familiar with Othello either. I'm I'm actually more familiar with Othello the board game than I am with oh. the play. Uh and it's about a malicious man who persuades his benefactor that his wife's been unfaithful and it drives him into murdering her is what uh, Devlin tells us. And this is maybe one of the most confusing parts of the movie because I was really so this whole time where they they I guess they just didn't show it but this whole time Edwina like had been 
calling Solomon to tell him, like, hey, you should be checking on your wife. Like, she's up to no good. And yeah, so I guess, like, um, uh, Price had been uh, posing as this masseuse for a while. <laughs> it's a like, long game. Yeah, it really uh, requires you to, to take a step back and be like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> During this one. <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. It's so weird. Uh, but, yes, uh, he... And by the way, this this guy that plays Solomon, um, I think his name is uh, the actor is Hawkins. Something uh, Hawkins, Jack, uh, Hawkins. Jack Hawkins. He actually, um, at this point in the last in the you know last years of his life, he would usually be dubbed by his friend Charles Gray. I thought that was so weird. Like hmm. you just find someone like, hey, I got a good face for acting, but my voice sucks. Can you just? do my voice <laughs> and uh we'll have a good partnership and yeah that's true he doesn't have a lot of dialogue so um it's really a lot of his face he comes into the house and he hears his wife kind of like me when i'm getting a massage just mm -hmm. fucking moaning and groaning like a son <laughs> of a bitch um making things real weird y'all <laughs> by the way i used i don't know uh, about y'all but i used to get um massages at my apartment um i had a really nice apartment in san antonio in a historical part of the city and I would get the masseuse to come to my place. She'd set up her table, wash her hands. I, I would get to set up the music. You know how usually when you get in your massage, you don't get to pick the music. It's just like some music you don't want to hear. I'd be playing whatever I wanted. I felt like an absolute king. It was magical. Anyway, moving on. So... <laughs> so. And this wasn't any kind of extra special massage, y'all. Stop. Get, get the gooky pervertedness out of your head this was fully professional i got a damn good massage <sighs> so uh, I, I, i'm not judging you i don't know who you're talking to i know <laughs> i'm talking to the audience not, <laughs> I, I know you're not judging me i'll just say i feel like my friends are judging me i know them man tim tim yobo out there is judging me uh when he listens to this at some point in april so, um, well, 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 he's dealing with uh, a killer squirrel in his neighborhood. So, come on. <laughs> yeah, Tim Yobo, man. Oh God, this guy comes up in my episodes every single time. I can't, I can't avoid him. Uh, so, yes, uh, Solomon hears all these sounds, and it sounds intense. He breaks through the door. I mean, forget uh the shining he doesn't even need an axe he just busts through with his damn hands i think i'm not even sure what he used but he gets through the door and he sees vincent price on top of her and then vincent price whispers in his ears yeah i've been fucking her for like <laughs> two months or so <laughs> and then he just snuffs out his own wife with a pillow it was a crime of passion but with slight with a slight nudge from uh, lionheart it's incredible. It's crazy. So much happens in uh, just a couple of, like, two minutes or something. Oh, yeah, God, like, I'm out of breath. And this movie is really well edited because, like, uh, like, the kills are like, are super, like, everything is super smooth. And there's a lot of, like, smart choices where, uh, like, uh, like, in the flashback to his uh, fake suicide, you get... Um, uh, he, the, after he jumps, he gets a shot of the reactions of in the room, and then there's they cut to uh, the present when they delivered the, the gift. And so, like, uh, you get a lot of like the same location editing t 
to cut out like uh like this unnecessary shit. Like this just like cuts down to what is necessary, which is like like the crazy kills and crazy like dramatic moments. You're right. I, I and I think that's a big part. The editing is the big part of why you know a movie that's almost two hours really doesn't feel like it. It's so much. Go- there's just so much coming at you constantly, and every there's never a scene that really feels like it's too much. And, and especially for you know this might. I don't know if this is a common opinion or not. I just feel like a lot of the 70s movies that I've covered, they tend to have longer scenes, a little more dialogue, a little more um, moments of like silence and shit like that, and uh, which I enjoy a lot of the time. But this movie, even though it does have some of that, it just feels like it flows so quick. You know, you, it's almost like the crank of 1970s. <laughs> you ever <laughs> yeah. seen Crank? It's just like, holy oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, Crank 2 is probably one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years. Oh man, dude, we covered Crank Two with uh, Bloody Bits on their Patreon. Oh, it's just it's one to listen to, man. It is magical. Yes, I love Crank Two. Um, and yes, so uh, Solomon does all that, and we find out that you know, even though because the, de- the detective eyebrows is confused, he's like, "Wait a minute, he killed his wife? Why would he kill his wife?" But then Devlin says, "Well, technically, he's punishing Solomon because Solomon is probably he's older, and he's probably going to die in prison because he's going to spend a long time in prison." So it's a pretty hard – I mean, Solomon might get it the worst from all of them because he has to suffer in prison for the next who knows how many years. Yeah. Oh. And the next kill is uh, interesting because uh, uh, this came from, like, a, a, a marriage-based one, and the actress who played the one female critic became uh, Vincent Price's last wife. They met and fell in love while making this. And, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Miss Chloe Moon is her character name. I'm not, <laughs> not sure if her, that's not her real name, but I really do like her uh, character name, Miss Chloe Moon. Uh, Coral Brown uh, is her uh, actual name, and I think I also read that apparently she wanted to wear a specific type of clothing, like a very richy rich type of clothing, and she had such a influence and um, was such a a strong actress to have on on the film that uh, initially there was no budget for it but you know what they made sure that there was a budget for it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is pretty awesome my man i would love to be able to just uh swing it around like that uh, yeah, <laughs> on par- a movie set <laughs> yeah and uh apparently they had an open marriage both of them were uh <clears throat> or by apparently i know uh, uh price was his daughter um confirm that like at some point yeah he seems like he just enjoyed loving you know and nothing wrong with that you just enjoy a little loving wherever you can get it and uh if anything that's just more love yeah i mean he's he's really charming like i'm sure he got a lot oh yeah man like i mean as soon as i looked in his eyes if i saw him back in the day i start questioning (laughs) myself it's kind of like looking at prince you know it just kind of just it all just goes (laughs) to the wayside (laughs) um for those of y'all who have never seen Dave Chappelle, you just just don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, yeah, so, yeah, Miss Chloe Moon, she arrives for a hair appointment, and um, Lionheart's stage manager, a.k.a. Edwina, answers the door, and, and she, um, she tells her that she's going to be uh, getting her hair done by a, <laughs> a hairdresser <laughs> named Butch, <laughs> who is basically just Lionheart acting as disco stew i guess uh, well he's he's uh he's a gay man 
<laughs> and he's like, yeah, it looks like Disco Stu looks like the the Afro guy from uh, WarioWare. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, he does look like the WarioWare guy. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it's just him doing like a a gay voice, and the cop who's like escorting uh, the 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 critic, like is like. Uh, you want to stick around and then uh, Butch flirts with them and he's like ugh <laughs> so <laughs> yes he basically makes the cop as uncomfortable as possible to kind of freeze him up and uh, just keep him upstairs um, and the cop just starts reading magazines and is I guess has no not, not very good senses because it's not like she's very far away he actually does take a moment to look down the stairs to see what's going on and they just have her working on you know they're putting on the curlers and talking to her and stuff so he's like okay everything's going good but then just moments later they put this thing they basically start strapping her in and she does not seem to be questioning the the <laughs> scenario here i'll be like okay what about my hair does my <laughs> my uh, freaking wrist need to be tied to the chair yeah, i would have been confused and for listeners, if you know your Shakespeare, this is Henry the Sixth, Part One, and this yes. might be the the second loosest adaptation of of a kill, which, uh, what, what like it's the burning of Joan of Arc, which uh, saying out loud is like that that sounds silly, but when you watch, it's like okay, I, it makes sense. Yeah. They replicate the burning through electrocution, uh, Home Alone 2 style. <laughs> Except it's not funny because she, <laughs> she turns into a fucking pizza crust <laughs> real quick. And uh, the scent eventually gets to the officer, but it's too late. He goes down. She's burnt to hell. And uh, no one's there, man. And so she is uh, crispified. Devlin then... Um, Devlin, this is kind of a weird scene. Um, this feels kind of... This is kind of when you feel like, God, Devlin, you just deserve to die because you're stupid ass. Because he's speaking to Edwina, and she tells him, "Oh yeah, my dad called me. He is alive." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, you were right. Um, she says that he admitted to the killings and he's ready to give himself up, but she doesn't want police involved because he's frightened that they're going to kill him, and if he finds out the cops are coming around, he's going to run. <sighs> and Devlin is like, "Well, I'll go with you to talk to him." <laughs> This guy just tried to kill you uh, fencing, dude. Like, I would stay as far away from him as I could. There is that one funny part where she says, he's frightened by the police, and he goes, he's frightened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love this movie. Uh, yes, and she, she puts the charm on because she's just gorgeous, y'all. She's got the bang game going on. She's got bangs. It's just, she's looking great. She doesn't yeah. wear a bra. <laughs> but then again, it's the 70s. Nobody wore a bra. Who needs yeah. a bra? I, I'm not sure if this is even true, but apparently brawls just make them go like kind of stoop lower. Ladies, you let me know. I don't know. But. Uh, uh, the podcast on Lay like did episode on bras, and uh, according to them, and they cite their sources, it kind of go like the research says both things about it. So it's it it depends on the person. It seems like I was gonna say a lot of it might just have to do with your your you know who your makeup you know your human make like it just might be just the way that goes you know yeah, same and, for us yeah and if you have any like only like because it's a great show for us like uh like coming from a a a, a, a cis man is like there are some things about with 
lady stuff that I had no clue about. And it's like, okay, this is good education. I know these things. <laughs> That's awesome, though, man. I would not have thought. I would have not have thought I would be. I would have this episode with you, and we would be talking about bras. <laughs> Oh God, uh, I'm having a good time. So, uh, so then, yes, uh, we then cut to Lionheart, who has basically made a mask of himself, and he has one of his uh, homeless crew wearing it. And we know that there's a plan in place, but we're about to see it unfold. But before that, he looks into a scrapbook to see what Meredith Meridu, your favorite critic, hmm, yep. said about him. And Titanus, uh, wait, Titanus, <laughs> Titus Andron, <laughs> Andronicus, yes, Andronicus. And uh, I've had a little bit of rum, y'all, but just bear with me. And, uh, and he he tells him that, uh, I mean, he reads that. Uh, that Meridu said that Lionheart's rendering of the role can only be described as villainous and he says something like that with the other actors and everything else that's in part of the play basically they make a ham sandwich and it sucks and Lionheart says I will grind your bones to dust and make two pasties of your shameful head I don't know what he's talking about y'all. <laughs> it sounds cool it does sound cool. It sounds scary. And then he starts whisking eggs with a real little kind of catty attitude, which I liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen the clip of him on Carson where he explains to Carson how to uh, make boiled fish in a, a dishwasher? No way. I've never seen that. Uh, it, he was real into cooking, and he had, like, I mean, he was generally yeah. an, an, an eccentric person. So like yeah like uh, his Carson appearances are pretty much golden. <laughs> I need to look those up and yes I I that w I did touch on that. I'm not sure if it was in the cold opener earlier, but yes he is a um, he was really into cuisine into cooking and it it just perfectly this movie perfectly lent itself to him in this part with Meredith because he really gets to kind of hone in on that language and how he speaks as a cook and he did a really good job of it yeah uh, I, I love all that stuff um and so um for uh, again for the shakespeare nerds tyson andronicus has a famous scene where uh the queen has fed her children in a pie and meredith has two uh has two dogs so um you can yeah. kind of piece together yeah, he got he got to piece together how this works out because first of all, we have kind of an Austin Powers moment where the cops are uh, they're all huddled in front of Meredith's house because they're trying to protect the few critics that are left because these people are failing like sons of bitches. But then they see the guy the the homeless person with the with the uh, Vincent Price mask on, so they try to chase after him and they can't even get through the narrow ass road. And they're having to go back and forth until they can get out. And then Vincent Price comes in this giant-ass TV truck. They go into Meredith's house. Meredith goes in. They surprise him with what is a game show, I guess, in, in uh, the UK? Yeah, I guess it's like uh, he gets uh, they're going to renovate his house or something. Yeah, well, it's called This Is Your Dish. Something surprise. <laughs> they surprise well-off people with like surprise dishes. So he's excited. He's like, "I've always wanted to be part of this and this and, and that." Yeah, and like this is another like thing that doesn't uh, age well. Um, he he's a fat guy. He's a big yeah yeah yeah. 
I mean, fat for 1970s. Now he would be yeah. just kind of husky. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the whole time, uh, uh, Vincent Price is just doing the uh, <laughs> a Swedish chef voice, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole this whole scene is insane, man. Uh, and this is this is honestly what made me start thinking about Seven because uh, mm-hmm. the gluttonous guy that the guy that he's like the shape of Kirby by the time they find him. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, and yes, uh, they and that person died by force feeding, and that's kind of what we get here. They tell them like it's so funny the way that Lionheart dances around the the fact that it's his dogs and eventually Meredith starts getting suspicious and they throw him down on the table they put a damn fucking funnel down his throat <laughs> and they just shove fucking like what looks like almost like chicken pot pie but it's not it's probably some British shit and yeah. they just- <laughs> they love their meat pies over there so it's one of them like weird meat pies and yes. uh and like oh, before God. they do the funnel part <laughs> like uh, he, uh, they're like, do you, uh, like, do you like uh, your pies? And then they uh, uncover like the the next pie and it has the heads of his two dogs as like basically birthday candles, <laughs> and, then, and the next pie. It's so dark, dude. I and you don't see that very often anymore. Like they, you just don't see dead dog stuff other than John Wick. And um, and that was just that one movie, but yes, uh, and I do love the fact that they play it off because he's like, "Where am?" The whole time he keeps asking about his damn dogs, and so the crew starts looking around like, "Where are those dogs? Where are they?" They're just like trying to call them over, and then they lift the platter open. It's just like, "Oh shit, there they are!" And yeah, they put the funnel in his mouth, and they just shove the food his th- that has his dogs in it, shove it down his throat, and he fucking chokes to death. And then uh, Lionheart says, pity, he didn't have the stomach for it. And they walk out, and then we see Devlin, who is in a, God, he is in a dope-ass Jaguar. Or uh, as uh, the UK would say, Jaguar! And uh, (laughs) he's arriving at the meeting spot where he's supposed to meet with uh, Edwina. And he has 5-0 on the line. This guy's uh, working with him. He's got a homing device as well. And Mustache Detective is also hiding in the back of the car. And this dude, uh, <laughs> by the way, I just realized Mustache Detective could have been a decent mm-hmm. Pink Panther. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. <laughs> he would have been decent. Uh, so the Devlin lets her know because uh, um, yeah, she does come come around and Weena comes around and he lets her know, hey, I'm working with the, with the cops. There's a... He lets her know everything. There's a homing device in the dash, this and that. All of a sudden... She's like, well, I, I'll, I'll drive so that way he can see me in the driver's seat and he doesn't freak out. So she goes in the driver's seat and all of a sudden, what is it, a chariot that comes through with a homeless person on it? Uh, <laughs> I think. Maybe? It's so fast. <laughs> it's so fast. <laughs> I think it's a chariot. It's either a horse or a buggy where there's it's op- like a truck and they just knock their shit out of Devil in the back of the head. They they get his they get his uh, knocked out ass body. She takes the, the Jaguar and she ends up parking it because eventually the uh, eyebrows goes and he stops at the homing device, which she took out of the car and places it on some other car. And he he uh, walkie-talkies uh, mustache detective. And mustache detective is like, okay, we're moving. Okay, we've stopped now. We've parked. I hear a whistle. Wait, I think it's a train. Yes, it's definitely a train. 
<laughs> this guy fucking dies. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's how they took out Mustache Detective. Oh, he was one of my favorite. He was one of my favorite characters in the movie, man. Oh, that was a shame. But we're just getting to the climax of the movie. Uh, what happens after this? I think Devlin wakes up, right? He's, yeah. he's in the theater. Yeah, and it's basically like a saw trap, except without like the the bullshit morality attached to it. <laughs> yeah, the morale is I should have won an award, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is on a saw trap, and uh, Lionheart is set up the stage as the Critic Circle Awards was was set up before uh, two years ago, uh, since um, this present day, and Devlin says that. Um, they gave the war- the award to William Woodstock because Lionheart's acting lacked originality. Devlin really likes to dig himself in his own grave. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just sharp sticking the shit out of Lionheart. He doesn't give a shit. And he is a sticking with his word. He's like, I said you're a bad actor and I will not change. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, he should change. Yeah, I know. I'm like, this guy's got bigger <laughs> balls. Holy shit. And so uh, Eyebrows has the purple drank uh, homeless person tied to a chair or, or a bed. And it, this guy is obviously a hardcore alcoholic. So Eyebrows is kind of torturing him by having booze nearby, but he's not letting him get to it. And he forces him to tell him where Lionheart is. So he tells him where he is. Then we go back to the theater and Lionheart brings up his last play in his repertoire. Which was King La- King Lear, King Lear, King Lear, <laughs> yeah. and he refers to uh, the fate that befell Gloucester, Gloucester, something like that, Gloucester. I think it was Gloucester. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I the only King Lear I know is the Kurosawa adaptation that a lot yes. of people love that I think is just okay. <laughs> hey, and that's okay. That's okay. You know? Yeah, I know. Uh, and so he was, uh, apparently, he was blinded to improve his vision of events. So this is uh, what reflects what's going to happen to Devlin if he doesn't um, basically award Lionheart with this, uh, with this uh, acting thing. And so Lionheart basically has what is a Hot Wheels track that goes directly <laughs> to Dev- Devlin's face, but instead of a car, it's two sharp daggers that go right to his eyeballs. It's fantastic. Um, I'm not sure exactly how well it would protrude his eyeballs because the way it's set up is there's a sandbag attached to a rope, and the sandbag has to be stabbed so it leaks slowly, kind of, you know, like a one of those old sand timers and then i guess the then once it's empty the knives will come down but they t- they're coming down kind of slow it might just kind of poke you a little bit in the face i don't know because there's really nothing hurt. pushing it yeah. yeah it would still <laughs> yeah you're right it would still hurt <laughs> yeah it would still hurt it just might not be lethal um, i mean what would be worse uh getting like a, a quick stab in the eye or getting a very slow stab in the eye oh that's like some yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, <laughs> well, you might have enough time to just kind of move your face enough, or maybe I'll just get you just on on the cheekbone. Uh, I don't know, because he has a little bit of looseness. Uh, he's tied to this chair and it's kind of holding his head back, but he kind of moved left and right. But either way, it is a very tough situation to be in. And Edwina tell Edwina eventually. This is the moment where she reveals herself because Devlin tries to throw off Lionheart by bringing up his daughter. He's like, "What would your daughter think of this?" 
and he's like, I don't know what. Uh, well, that's not the way Vincent Price talks. He's like, I don't know what would my <laughs> daughter think of this, and so she turns around and it's Edwina. She tears off the mustache, takes off the the the, the hair, the wig, <laughs> the fro. Yeah, the fro. Uh, and she takes it off, and it look, it's her. Holy shit! And uh, Devlin is just like, damn it, that was my only chance. And she says, just give him the award, Devlin, and just live. But he just won't. He just doesn't want to. And this part is kind of amazing because then Lionheart recites the exact words that Devlin used at the event, at the at the award ceremony, and. <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious because then Vincent Price goes, and the award goes to, and Devlin just yells, William Woodstock, you son <laughs> of a bitch. <laughs> and all the homeless people applaud. <laughs> yes, and then Lightheart goes, no, you son of a bitch, that's not my name. <laughs> oh, God, I love this. And uh, so then, yes, um, I think... Devlin gets very dramatic at this point, and he's like, as Lear said at his greatest moment, never, 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 never. <laughs> and so, yes, he is stubborn. He's just as stubborn as Lionheart is, to be honest. They've they've met their match. And Edwina ends up presenting the award instead to Lionheart um, as the daggers slowly come down because she has cut the bag, and it is working its way to his face. Um, but then the bag catches onto some kind of shit that's hanging up. I think it's like a part of the set. So it's it's kind of slowed down coming to his face, but they're distracted because Lionheart's really into the moment. And yeah, then the cops start coming in. Um, oh wait, no, there's that whole thing with the homeless people and Edwina. What was that about? What did they? Um, why did they turn coat? What's your opinion on that? Because I uh, basically uh, I think it's just like uh, Lionheart was had lost his uh, control over them and. And the one of them attacked uh, uh, Edwina, just like I'm gonna use from Wikipedia because I don't know King Lear yeah. well. Um, like Cordelia in the play, oh. who is the youngest daughter, who I guess is also killed on accident in the play. Wow, or something like that. So they were that like, strict on to keeping <laughs> keep it to the murders. Yeah. And so, like, you know, if someone did die, but it's the wrong person. And so, like, they that causes, like, the... Uh, but basically, like, a whole lot happens in, like, two minutes. And then, like, the, they set the theater on fire, and uh, Devlin survives, unfortunately. He gets out. Yeah, yeah, Devlin survives somehow, and... they Yeah, they start catching everything on fire. There's these final words between Edwina and... Um, and and Lionheart and she passes she I guess dies he goes full like <laughs> insanity and puts her on his on his shoulder goes up on top of the very top of the theater they see him way up there he says um, he's doing at the whole time he's doing King Lear passages and and then this giant fire explosion blows blows him up and from the back, and he throws Edwina off the building, and he falls all the way down, plummets to his death. In the me middle of the theater, he is done for. I think he says, uh, she's dead as Earth, or something like that. And, <laughs> and, and Devlin still will not give him any credit. 
Yeah, he's hardly shook at any of this. His ostentatious demeanor is unfaltered. Uh, he says, Yes, a uh, fascinating performance, but of course he was madly overacting as usual. But you must admit, he did know how to make an exit. <laughs> <laughs> Devlin's such a piece of shit. So Devlin walks away. He's probably happy because he doesn't have any more competition critics-wise. It's just him now. He walks off, and we get the end credits as the whole theater burns down. Holy shit. Um, and as you know, um, as you know, Spencer, I do like to do a quick impression uh, for, for, for one of the characters um, in all the movies that I cover. And this is a segment I like to call Quick Impressions. <laughs> Quick impressions. Pity. He didn't have the stomach for it. All right, so that is my quick impression. <laughs> that was a little Ralphus. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, that was like. That was a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is so fun, though. Well, I mean, I their voices are kind of similar, so I, I, I can't fault you there. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, you know, as you know, Spencer, I do uh, rate these movies by my favorite mustaches. Um, you got the full Fu Manchu recommendation, which is hell yeah. You got the walrus mustache recommendation, which is pretty damn good. The horseshoe mustache recommendation, which is not bad. And the toothbrush mustache recommendation, which is the Hitler mustache burn this movie in hell. Spencer, what would you rate this movie? I would go full Fu Manchu. Uh, but partly why why would you go full Fu Manchu? It's just it uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really violent. It's really silly. It's um <laughs> uh I I don't know like it it moves very quickly. There's stuff that makes no sense, but it's so much fun. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you there. I honestly wasn't even planning on going that deep into this movie and going I felt I just enjoyed talking about it and, and taking in all the scenes because it's just so much fun. I definitely give this the full Fu Manchu recommendation. I can't wait to see it again. I think I'll notice more things and and, and uh see more jokes that maybe I missed. Maybe it's even a good idea for me to even learn more about some of these Shakespearean <laughs> plays as well, which would be a lot of fun. But yeah, this mean, is something I think would be fun to watch with friends too. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it definitely is like it's uh, like it, it's very absurd and silly, but also like legitimately like is well made with good production value at the same time. Definitely, man. Completely agree with that. And yeah. um, do you yeah. have any plugs or anything for uh, for any of the listeners so that way they can uh, track you down and listen to the goodness of your shows? All right. So there's Shoot to Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. As of this recording, it's March, so uh, it's uh, the soft skin, uh, lesser known Truffaut movie paired with Deadly Sweet, uh, early Tinto Brass movie. That's uh, kind of his take on making fun of Godard and kind of showing Godar like I can do better than you with your own style and uh, uh, that's as of this recording and uh, I don't know check out the past seasons the Spike Lee one the Kurosawa season and what else oh um, I have my own uh, movie site blog um, Jailhouse 701 Japanese cult cinema it's basically just like if there's a Japanese movie I like 
that isn't discussed to death, then I will review it. And uh, <laughs> there's like, I think there's 50 reviews on there currently, something like that. So there's a whole lot to pick from. And there's an African history blog, Red, Black, and Green, a celebration of African history that is takes longer because research and like actually like going through books and citing sources kind of takes a little bit longer than just watching a movie and thinking about it. So that one gets updated kind of whenever, uh, uh, you know, whenever I can get to it. Nice. Um, and you have also guested on a few Grindman episodes too. So, you, so yeah. you can find uh, find uh, Spencer on on a few episodes in there. I, what was your latest one that you were on? We uh, Street Trash, but we just recorded <laughs> one. I, I I love Street Trash. That movie is such <laughs> stupid fun. Insane. Yeah. Uh, but I love, I episode. I was the only one I really liked it. But uh, I uh, I just recorded with my co-host Stroll a movie he loves, um, The Bloody Pit of Horror. Which oh. um, is on YouTube if you want to watch it. Uh, it's very silly and stupid, and has Mershka Hargitay's dad, Mickey Hargitay, as the yeah. the killer in a Jalo movie. And uh, there's a, you know, I won't spoil the best moment, but there's a moment because uh, he's a bodybuilder, and the movie reminds you, like, in, in one key scene, he used to be a bodybuilder in a way that is uh, kind of glorious, and is the reason. To watch a whole movie, <laughs> I have to check that one out for sure, man. Um, and as you know, um, Mustachio Podcastio, you can find it on um, on Instagram at Mustachio Podcastio, on Twitter and Podcastio, and uh, you can also email me any movie suggestions at Mustachio Podcastio at gmail.com. And also, I just started a Discord for the show. You don't need to be on Patreon. You don't need any of that stuff. You can just jump in on the Discord, join the conversation. I have all these channels. I have what you're listening to. I have a sports channel. We can talk about movie suggestions and just just whatever. We have general stuff as well. So it's a good time. A lot of Grindbin people are in there, and I want to get some more people as well. So uh, just uh, I'll be kind of shooting it out to anyone that follows the show uh, pretty soon with the link, and you're welcome to join. Uh, but, yeah, man, thanks, Spencer, so much for uh, for joining the show. Oh, you're welcome. And I have some uh, uh, potential picks in mind for uh, down the road. Yeah, I can't wait, man. All right, well, uh, we will bother y'all later. Y'all have a good one. Bye. See ya. Thank you to all the mustachiosos out there supporting the show. Interact with the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and now Discord. Just click on the link in the show notes. If you really love the show, visit the shop on Bonfire and get yourself a t-shirt. Mustachio Podcastio is the weird uncle of the Podmoth Media Network.